Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to The Property Duo. James, how long have we been gone for? We've been gone for a while, man. It's seen, what, good three months, four months? Yeah, almost? like time has flown during Corona, which is obviously quite surprising because it's not exactly been the best of times for people. But we are back with a, I think it's a 10 part series. Uh, this is maybe going to be the first one you hear. Uh, hopefully it is going to be the first one because I've just given it an intro like it is the first one. Uh but look, we wanted to do what we're doing now, people who are listening in a kind of physical format in real life, in front of you. We've got some really cool ideas and formats uh, and maybe even uh, a little property trio every now and then might happen. Mm, keep your fingers. Oh, uh, yeah. Keep your, oh, yeah. Uh, give a wish us good luck. See if that works. Um, working with James is difficult enough as it is. So um, we were hoping to do something physically, but I don't know if anyone knows But obviously the coronavirus, we can't really do anything apart from our TPD five day, James. How has that been going? Oh, mate, that's been that's been awesome. I really, really enjoyed that. You know what? It's taken some serious work, though. It's not been easy. People think hosting an event like that and hosting some education events like that is just easy. You get people in a room and you charge them a, a load of money. But no, it's been difficult. But at the same time, watching those guys where they've had that golden moment and just thought, aha, you know, and I know there's been a lot of those in the room where people have been like, you guys have just said it as it is and there's no beating around the bush. So, yeah, it's been great, man. Really, really enjoyed it. A little bit sad that it's coming to the end now, but I think uh, it's taken long enough to get through it. <laughs> and your your friend Karoni hasn't really helped the situation either. No, it's definitely pushed things back. And you're right about those moments, you know, like you see them on their faces or they just say like, wow, this is going to save me tens of thousands of pounds or this is going to save me hours of maintenance or um, over uh, over and over again, countless number of times we see that, which is awesome. And yeah, the amount of work, the actual day itself is, is tiring. You, you know, you know, poor uncle, you know, he always gets a headache at the end of the day. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, he needs a nap and he misses out. And uh, so, you know, I'm loaded with my Nurofen. Every time I do that, event, <laughs> I'm <Nurofen. laughs> um, but you know, what? it has been fantastic. And obviously we hope to do something like that in the future where possible, obviously we need a project to do it, but the duo is now back at least for this 10 part series. And we hope as soon as possible, we can get back to doing something physically. Uh, we've got some really cool formats and ideas and guests and all sorts of stuff that we want to do that I think is going to be really exciting combined with some type of networking event, which, you know, after Corona and the really the lack of kind of networking that's happened, we want to get that back safely. Uh, and, and yeah, just get us back to a level where we can meet new people. Right. And Oh, I don't know if we can shake hands. Maybe we need to cu- courtesy to each other like kings and queens. Um, so, James, what happened this morning? You fell in a ditch, mentally, physically, spiritually? Oh, come off of it, man. Yeah, so you know what? I've been nursing an injury on my leg from running. I've got this stupid target in my head to try and hit f- between 50 and 60K every five days running and have a two-day break. And you know what? My old bones are just telling me, hey, 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 calm down, calm down, because the injuries are starting to kick in. And this morning, yeah, I spent a whole week off recovering, ready this morning to, yes, I'm on this one. 
had my headlight on and everything. So, you know, I'm aware people don't run me over because I wear black stuff when I run and it's not very reflective. And I fell in a flipping ditch, man. I'm running along. I'm normally quite cautious and I'm running on this grass area that I'm not quite <laughs> familiar with. And I, I land and I think, OK, this is just a puddle. But no, it wasn't. It was a ditch. And I fell in, twisted my leg, Oof. fell on my back and, yeah, covered in shit and mud. And yeah, and I know you find it very funny, but it's, it's very painful sitting here on this chair right now um, with that pain just shooting through my back. But yeah, James fell in a ditch. Wow. I mean, covered in mud and shit. sounds like another day on site, really. Yeah. Um, especially especially in the early stages. Well, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, we're sorry to hear that. Everyone, please send a prayer in your nightly prayers uh, for James and his back. So uh, what have you been doing for your physical um, well-being? Well, I've been going to the gym. Actually, I've been injured as well. I've got sort of physio who, I know it's osteo, who absolutely, dest- I've never had, I've never experienced so much pain from a treatment before, but you know, the best kind of pain where you're like, yeah, I'm getting better. This is working. So, so good. And he kept, yeah, actually, and guess what? He goes, oh, you know, what do you do? You know, they always chat in it, you know, treatment, osteos and stuff. And we got talking about property. And of course he's got like 12 properties locally um, blah, 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 equity. Um, and he, I sent him my book. He's buying a copy of my book. And, you know, it's one of those things where who knows where this could go? Cause I was sort of teaching him about BRR while oh, I was being yeah. treated. I was like, oh yeah. So you buy the house and then, oh. so uh, <laughs> it was quite an interesting one. And yeah, he was a really good osteo. So I'll definitely go back and see him. And it kind of, you know, it, it kind of goes to that thing where people, oh, tell everyone what you do. How on earth would I have known and he known that, and he has like 12, whatever properties, like what, who just randomly, you know, most people don't, I suppose, but there's always some connection. So that was really interesting. Um, obviously we are now in tier four. Well, you are, aren't you as well? Yeah. 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 As of when was it? Nine, as of the 20th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Yesterday. So I, I'm in tier three or two. I think I'm in Birmingham now M- managed to escape before the lock, um, before all of this shit was announced. So the gym is open here. So I'm still going. Um, but you know what it, this tier four business is quite interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, when people hear this, we're, we're probably going to be in tier 21, <laughs> you know, civil disobedience, rioting on the streets. I'm trying to grow my carrots and I'm just getting mashed up. Like, so I didn't even know about a tier four. Where did this tier four business come about? I just switch well, on the news and next minute we're in the tier four. Well, yeah, because it's three days before. What's his name? The opposition, Keir Starmer said, oh, you're, um, no, Boris said to him, you're trying to cancel, uh, well, you're trying to cancel Christmas, aren't you? Oh, no, we can't have that. And then look, four days later, he goes, oh, well, you know, we we, uh, we, we have to cancel Christmas. And, uh, well, you know, there's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not our fault. Um, it's interesting, you know, like just how, like I, I feel for small business owners who have like retail units because. Oh, badly, you know, man, badly. I know they've got rates, business rate relief and stuff like that, but then they've got rent to pay. They've, they've got no way of coming in. They've got, oh, we can open for three days. Oh, no, now you're shut. Before Christmas, before the biggest fucking time of the year. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I think in property, yes, we don't get any help and the government don't help us and you know the media hate us and stuff. But I don't know. I feel like we're quite lucky, James, compared to people like with small businesses, especially in retail. I, what do you I, think? I, I agree with you, man. This morning, like when I was out running, I ran down Wanstead High Street and just seeing some of the shops that should be buzzing right now. It's just such a gloomy place, you know. 
even in the evening, some of these really, really nice restaurants that can't open have kind of switched it up a little bit and have started doing a delivery service. But you've got this swanky place that's lit up and you've got this one person just sitting there handing people bags over. It's not right, man. There should be a real hustle and a bustle at this time. People with their scarves on, with their woolly hats, drinking mm. old wine, just chilling, having a real good time, getting in the festive you know, period. But it's none of that, man. It almost seems like there's a dark cloud over the high street at the moment, no matter what high street you go to. Obviously, you've got likes of Costa Coffee's drive throughs still killing it. Uh, Starbucks, they're all still busy. All these drive throughs are still busy, but everything else, man, I do really, really feel sorry for people. And I was te- speaking to a couple of people uh, in the print sector I used to be in, and, man, they're telling me about some big names falling. Like every few months, people are going into liquidation or, you know, filing for bankruptcy or just they can't, they're firing their whole team because they just can't do anything. And I feel so sorry for people who are in live events and exhibitions because they have just, it's an 83 billion pound industry or something like stupid like that. So it's huge and they can't do nothing. Like they cannot physically host an event. So these guys are sat there with teams of people, nothing going on. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, have you seen the pictures of Oxford Street? Yes, yeah, mental man. It's it's like I've I've never seen it like that. Only at like three a.m. Even then, there's some drunk group walking down the street. But like, it's it, it's crazy. It's ghost and it is, and it's like this new strain has conveniently been discovered now. And you know what? I don't know. Maybe it's the conspiracy theorist in me, but I don't know. Something's just I don't know. You know, we we could spend hours just thinking, or you know. Uh, extrapolating information and data of what could be happening or what we th- you know, like there's so much that could be happening behind the scenes that we don't know and don't see and like the property industry though i mean what like you've seen the data right like prices up um yeah. transactions up it's and it's it's bloody continuing so actually when lockdown started well, you know i think i should have kept on bloody buying yes hindsight's a wonderful thing but james looking at the data now and looking back would you have made a like? Would you have made different decisions, sort of, at the beginning of lockdown, knowing what you know now? Um, well, I mean, I carried on buying anyway, so it didn't really make a boundary of difference to me. And you know, I've actually decided to switch my strategy up somewhat, and I'm shifting a few things in. And I'm surprised at how many people are ready to buy stuff as well. And you know, this is stuff that isn't going to easily get valued up. It's odd things on titles, hasn't actually been structured properly, but. There's people ready to buy things. So it just goes to show there is still a mad confidence in the market. But, you know, I don't want to say it, but I think there's 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 going to be a new way of working, man. This cannot continue the way we work. The old world is finished, man. And I think if people don't get their shit together, you are going to be left behind. If you don't start adapting and doing something very, very quickly, things are going to, things are going to go badly wrong for people. But coming back to your question, um, the market looks strong. I'm so glad I bought. I was a little bit nervous, to be honest with you. But now I'm kind of like, okay, this is nice. This is good. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of seeing that as well. And I think like there's a lot of money going into property. I suppose people are looking at the market. People are looking at the world and saying, oh, God, you know, everything's uncertain. The stock markets, who knows? It's based on businesses, which could fail, as, as a lot of these big names are. Let's put in property because it's safe and, you know, they're happy to pay full value. I think it's interesting. You know, when you think about people who are, I don't know, super rich, yeah, who have, I don't know, tens of millions, like they have to put that money somewhere. It's not safe in a bank and it's not doing anything in a bank. It's losing, you know, inflation, mm. 2% a year, 2% mm. of a million, let alone 10 million is 
is a Lamborghini. So you're losing a lot of money. And it's, it's interesting to think like their problem is where can I put this money safely? Where can I park it? Whether I pay full cash, whether whatever, whereas our problem is, okay, where are we getting the money from? Where are we getting? It's interesting how the problems still exist, Mm. but they're different. And we think, Oh, we'd love to have that problem of, Oh, well, I've got so much money. Where do I put it? But actually it can, it probably, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad bad thing having that much money, but it, it obviously comes with its own challenges. And I feel that they are, you know, putting money into property, which before... It's, it's, it's funny you say that, mate, because you're right. Some of the people that I know that are in developments that do 100 units, 150 units, when I spoke to one guy, a particular guy last week, he said to me, he goes, I'm buying sites. He goes, I'm buying sites. I'm not doing anything with them, but they're sites that have planning and I'm just storing them for when they're ready. He goes, I don't want my money sat in the bank. I want my money in something that I can go and touch, feel and look at because I don't know what's going to happen with my money if it's sitting in the bank. Another guy I know who's strong in business, online business, he's gone and fitted himself out with a new warehouse, got rid of the money he's storing, chucked it into a new warehouse and, you know, built a A1 fantastic Amazon style warehouse because, again, nervous, doesn't want to leave that kind of money in the bank, would rather leave it in something tangible that he can see, look, and it's going to help his business grow. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. It didn't Warren Warren Buffet or Warren Buffett? Didn't he say, um, "Be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy"? Was it him? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess these two examples of these two people, they are being greedy, or well, it's not, that's probably not the right word, but they are being brave and they are taking that jump, investing when others are not. And mm. of course, it's a risk, but it's a risk that could pay off x fold right if you have i mean look where do we get stuff now online where do we have to get stuff from online like the amount of i mean you what can you not get online like you know clothes back in the day oh i don't know if my size is right then now you get it and you return it and it's, it goes back like the yeah. same. it's a mad world we live in where literally from your phone and from your computer I mean, you can order cars online. There's this kazoo or something like that. I heard where you, you you can, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's something. Well, I I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't think about doing that. But I mean, hey, give it two three years, I'll probably be like, yeah, you buy all the cars online. Like, it's it's funny you mentioned cars because a friend of mine, he's got a um, he's got a used car business in Essex, and actually, he's the one who left your review, Greg. Oh yeah, 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 from Better Car. And you know what? One thing I watched them guys do over the last few months is they really switched it up, and they've got like a click and collect service where if a customer expresses interest in a car, they will have a full blown video done for it. Now, some of the top kind of car showrooms do that anyway. When you express an interest, they'll do your whole video. But these guys are literally talking the person through it, showing them in detail, and people are committing to sales just through the internet. And the car is being delivered to them just so they can't get down. But it's talking about how people are adapting and a second-hand car dealership adapting that well to stay ahead of the game. That's innovative, man. I was really, really impressed when I saw that. That's amazing. I think also what's interesting on the flip side is, well, it's, you you know, secondhand, you know, car salesmen, there's the whole that kind of you know, stereotype and cars are, you know, notoriously difficult to, you know, like you can't, yes, you can plug in a, a diagnostic, but you can't, there's no sort of passport health check. You don't know. Re- I know there's a logbook and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But generally, cars are quite a risky thing to be buying secondhand unless you know, you know, unless you're very well versed. The fact that people trust them enough to do that, either obviously this is one example, says something about them and his business, or it could say something about us as a society where we're becoming more trusting, um, whether or not they have reviews or FIFA or something like that. 
that's that's interesting you know because yeah i think as a society are we becoming more trusting of stuff on the internet and then is there going to be some problems with that in the future we obviously there's scams already but then is that gonna i mean are we gonna i think we're, we're kind of doing this already you know are we gonna never have a viewing again are we just gonna have videos and we just buy and we never like you know what could it be i think we've got i think we've got no choice at the moment there is no choice is there you know you've got to do it if you want to buy a new car what other way are you buying a car unless you're buying a car brand new and you know it's got some kind of comeback on it and it is literally brand spanking new you are go. You are relying on trust, and you're relying on somebody else saying to you, "Like this is a good, good thing." And this is bringing me back to my point where I was saying to you, I think the the world is changing massively, man. And I think people that think that after this lockdown's over, when it eventually is over, which ain't going to happen for a few years, if you think it's going to be back to normality and you're going to be going into London into an office to work, I think you got another thing coming, man. Things are going to change hugely, 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 hugely. And how do you think that'll affect? The housing market, because when you said that, I instantly thought, okay, the countryside or, you know, places that are further out are going to get more expensive and are going to have more demand. That's my instant thought. What are you thinking? Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. I feel places in the city, say big, big office blocks, I reckon they're going to go down the multi-co-living route. Because why would you want to have a huge office sitting there doing nothing when some developer is going to chop it up and make it into quirky little units? Because there's still that desire to live in the city. I just feel people, big multi-corporations don't necessarily need a huge office to be operating from anymore. But like you said, I reckon there'll be a higher demand on the outskirts because if you're now working mobile, if you're working from home and you can do your job from home, why the hell do you want to be living in a built-up, smoky city when you can be out in the country like yourself? Like you said it to me a few, few times now. It's so lovely living where you are. You can get out and have a walk. You know, there's no noise. There's fresh air. I bet the water tastes different. I bet your skin feels different. <laughs> I bet your mood's even different. It is. Like, honestly, like, I mean, I'm always glowing in it when it comes to the skin. But, you know, <laughs> the, the mood is deaf. Like, I was thinking about this today. Like, it's just, you look out your window. And you, you see, well, nothing, I suppose. You see the countryside and it's never going to be built on. Well, maybe in like 50 years, but it's, I mean, actually the little hamlet I live in, I was speaking to one of the, um, one of the people who lives there because there's a bit of land there. Long story short. And she, and actually this is true because I've seen it online. Only two bits of planning have ever been approved in 18 years that she's been there. And they were for like splitting existing housing. Basically, you're not building here. I don't care how special wow. you think you are. It's not yeah. happening, right? Um, and this happens a lot. And I, I don't even think it's Greenbelt. Like, but I think do you think, do you think if so, I honestly feel if you come along with a sympathetic enough proposal, something that looks so gorgeous and fits in with the area, you hard know what? for people to say no. Yeah, but the thing is the residents will say no and the parish council will say no. Mm. And also because there's no bus routes in this okay. village there's no we don't even have a shop there's no immunity there's wow. one there's one lamppost bro this is like full india full hamlet thing yeah. there is yeah there's like 60 oh, oh like, that's why you've got the head torch that makes a lot of yes, sense because okay. when i go gym okay. at 6 a.m it's pitch black and like there's right. puddles everywhere and you know i literally that's what it's for um watch out for the ditches well yeah exactly i won't do it james but like <laughs> it's one of these things where you know it won't be built on now that's a, I think that, you know, when you live there, it's a great thing because I know when you look out the window, I'm going to see sheep, I'm going to see pheasants, I'm going to see 
you know, buzzards and kites and all these amazing bits. I mean, you know, we saw a hare. Have you ever seen a hare in your life? No, no. They are incredibly rare and we've seen them twice um, and deers and all sorts. And like just little things like that literally make my day. Like the little bit of nature, well, it's not for everyone, but that I'm happy. I'm, I am set no matter what happens. I've got like, it just makes you happy. Um, And when you walk out and like, I don't know, there's space and the roads are beautiful, single track roads. I mean, I love driving them. The car's filthy all the time, but little things like that mm. honestly make a huge, huge difference. Um, And, you know, you said people want to still live in the city. Do you think people still want to live in the city if they're sort of, if their jobs aren't there? Is there a reason then to live in the city? I would, I would imagine the only person who really wants to live in the city is maybe the younger millennial who still wants to be hitting the bars, still wants to be going to the restaurants, still feels that he's need, he, you know, he needs people around him or she needs people around him, loves to socialise. I reckon it's going to be more so for the younger lot, personally. Mm. And I you know agree. what? There's still a massive buzz about living in London. You know, we, we take it for granted. I mean, I take it for granted. I can see Canary Wall from my window. But for me, I'm like, there's so much noise. There's so much cars mm. there. There's so much smoke. I absolutely hate it. But, you know, where I live, I quite I do quite like it. I'm quite lucky where I am. But when I go off and see friends of mine that live in the country, it's a whole new ball game, <laughs> mate. It is a whole new ball game. Honestly, it, like when we go for walks, like people see some of these pictures on my Instagram, but like it's literally rolling fields and it will be crops as the months get warmer everywhere that you can see. And then you've got the mist across and like things like that. When you're having a stressful day or your build has been mm-hmm. a knob, which is about every day, you just go out there and it fill your lungs, you. fill your lungs. Yeah, it just centers you, you know. And I mean, look, living in a city, look, if I lived in Chelsea, you know, yes, it's not the same. It's not as busy. It's it's kind of some parts anyway. You know, I would live in London there, but even then I look and think, you know what? Five mil for a house. You've got a garden the size of my hand. Or I go to the countryside and I have a bloody castle, which is, which is true in some parts, for less. And I can have all my chickens and goats and... <sighs> I don't but know. You know what, Ted? This must be so perfect for you with your stoic way of thinking. Mm. This just must be the icing on the cake for you. Because the way you think about stoicism, I've been listening to it a lot more mm. with a few of the things I've been going through. Just want to try and, you know, calm my mind a bit. So I'm thinking, tallying that up with you living in the country, that's it, man. Next it's, it's thing, you're going to be having a long pipe coming out of your mouth, <laughs> walking, car and jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Topi. The little geezer hat, yeah. Shotgun in one hand, in it? Hunters and all that in the country. Um, but yeah, you know what? It's interesting you've been reading about stoicism. So what, what have you taken so far from stoicism? Well, I heard something this morning. I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's by an Indian chap, an American Indian chap. And he had some guy on there um, uh, who was talking about stoicism. And he was saying, you know what? He goes, he was talking at something called negative gratitude or something where you actually put yourself in a situation and you say to yourself, okay, this one thing that I'm so reliant on all the time, say, for example, you know, your partner, your wife or your child. And then yep. just imagine if that child isn't there no more. How mm-hmm. do you feel? How do you feel? And while I'm running this morning, I'm thinking, fuck, man, if my kid weren't there, I'd feel I'd feel really bad. And then when I came home, first thing I did was FaceTime my child because he's not they're not here at the moment. I FaceTime just to, you know, just to say to him, 
how you doing, buddy? Because I thought, I appreciate you even more <laughs> after listening to that. And another mm-hmm. thing that came out of this was doing the best with what you have with where you are at the moment. You know, that was some, I don't know if I've worded that right. Yeah, That yeah, was yeah. something else that I picked out from it. So, you know, if you're going through a certain thing in life, you know, don't try and change it. You're going through it. Just go through it and do what you can with what you've got and where you are. You know, I thought, it's sometimes it's not wrong just to stand still, not so so much stand still, but just take a deep breath and just deal with what's going on here and now rather than thinking, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, I want to do this, I want to grow that. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong because for me, I always used to think, if I ain't pushing, if I ain't growing, I'm doing something wrong. But yeah, the more I listen to it, man, it's really helping me get through certain situations. I love that. And you know what? That is, that's probably one of the parts of stoicism I struggle with because who wants to think, what if X person is gone? But I've got but my it's very. It's very important to think that, man. But you again, know you know what they say? Don't spend too long there because you'll just get caught up in this fucking negative world. So put yourself in that situation and pull yourself back out of it again. I mean, I've got my Daily Stoic book here and I've opened it to a random page in uh, Amor Fati, which I believe sort of means love your fate. Uh, and in, interesting enough, uh, let me read this quote to you because it's kind of exactly what you're talking about. Basically says the glass is already broken. And the quote is fortune falls heavy on those for whom she's unexpected. The one always on the lookout easily indoors. That's by Seneca. So essentially for you, James, fortune is not unexpected because you're on the lookout because you're putting yourself in situations mm. where that could happen. X could happen. A house could burn. This could happen. And when it happens, well, guess what? You thought it would, or you at least have been over that situation that it's not unexpected. So fortune or fortuna does not fall heavily on you. Um, great book, people, Daily Stoic. So, James, uh, we have a slightly new format. Is our... Is okay, yo, he, he's been here for a couple of minutes. Shall I let him in? Yeah, let, let him in. So everyone who's listening, uh, we have a slightly new format. Me and James are going to talk shit for half an hour, which we clearly just did. Um, no, no, there we, was some good stuff there, man. There, there was, was some, some good stuff. No, there, was some, there was some good stuff there. And uh, we bring in a guest for the last half an hour to talk about, you know, whatever whatever tickles their fancy, uh, as James would say, the Cockney, whatever tickles their fancy. Right, I'm letting and, him in. I'm letting him in. Go on and let him in. Go, he's open the doors. Um, and today we have Safe Rehan joining us. Now, Uncle uh, he's been on both of our podcasts and he spoke at our TPD five day. So you potentially are familiar with him already. Uh, safe. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are we both doing? All right, mate. Very, very well, mate. Right, mate. Right. <laughs> so oh, I love, wrong, I love wrong, that wrong. picture on your wall, man. Who's the Wait, picture of? Oh, Mr. Godfather. You come to my house. You don't even bring me no, no cheese. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so safe. Uh, you know what? You do many things, but one thing you do really well, which me and James probably, you know, struggle with a little bit and we've learned from you is detail when it comes to numbers, figures, spreadsheets and project management. So, James, what what do we want to pick Safe's brain about today? Listen, listen, Safe does detail on detail on detail on detail on detail. It's already very detailed and then he goes a little bit more into detail. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? So, uh... You know what? Let's let's talk about project management, I suppose, safe, because that's something that people struggle with. Because a lot of builders are, how would you how would you describe builders, James? Um, you can't trust them. Mm, yeah, they they don't. 
you got to be very, very clear with them. So if you think this line's 40 centimetres, measure it out and say to them 40 centimetres. Don't go on assumption. They don't speak the same language as you. They don't read very well. They don't communicate very well. But the only thing they are very good is giving you an invoice at the end of the week to get paid by. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't, as much as I like my builders, you saw my IGTV live the other day of that leaking fucking pipe, man. I was so pissed. And this is little man, little man. I trust little man. And and we cut the... Especially when it's at the end, James. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. You have to cut but... through shit, innit? It's long. But the thing is, as Craig said, you know, big up the grafter said, he goes, if that was a mash it and it was the shit pipe, if it was a structy waste going through, yeah, <laughs> that could have been. How much damage could that have been once the house was sealed? Floors, right. there's shit in the walls, everything. You gotta get a, I don't know, I suppose you gotta get a firm in to clean it properly and everything. 100%. So, you got how a, would you describe builders? Um, in general, yeah. in general, they have very little common sense. <laughs> um, in general, they, I wouldn't, it's probably saying that they, they take the easy way out is the wrong way, is that they just, there's no logical thought. It's just, let me do this, right? Okay, once I've done that, then I'm going to do this. Then, I'm, then Once I've done that, then I'm going to do this. Instead of thinking and just putting a little bit of a plan together at the start and thinking, you know what, right? This is, this, is the, this is what we're hoping to achieve. This is what we're hoping to get. Oh, shit, I can't do this because this is what I need to do in, in three weeks and that sort of thing. You know, it's it, it just common sense, a little bit of common sense. Um, and then when you find a builder that has common sense, you fucking... Grab them, hide them, <laughs> never speak of them ever again. Marry uh, them. Hundred percent, mate. So say so how can you know, how can we as investors, because you know, most builders are gonna do what you said, which is not plan ahead, right? And they're technically the experts, that's a loose word here. How are we supposed to then make them plan? How how can we work with them like that? I think it's uh it comes down to it. But I think we all just need to accept that if we are hoping for this magical builder to fall from the sky, that, that like we're going to be searching and searching and searching. I think the one thing that I've learned is that if somebody is detail-driven, somebody isn't detail-driven, paint them with the same brush and imagine that they're not detail-driven. You need to give them a list of things explained pictures, videos, whatever works for that person. Now, just think of them. You are hiring them to join your team. You are, they are joining your workplace. Your workplace is just the site. Mm-hmm. Would you get somebody that, like, let's say, for example, now, James, let's say you, uh, yourself, you weren't good with um, essay, essays upon essays of instructions or manuals, you know, now, that's going to be pretty stupid of Ted to expect you to get the detail that he requires through that mode. So you need to find out and spend time with, with these guys as well to understand what exactly works for them as opposed to what works for us. So the one thing that we did was figuring out what worked for them, but then understanding how I could process a system so that we're doing things in the way that they want, but they're giving me the information in the detail that I want them to give me back so instead of just saying hi mate yeah it's uh it's five grand for this week i know exactly what that five grand is broken down into and what elements of the job that that 5k needs to be allocated to yeah yeah and how long 
not how long, sorry, how often, let's say you've got a project that's two months, yeah, you know, yeah. probably it's kind of average refurb for like a buy to let, maybe HMO takes a bit longer. How often are you on site checking stuff? Twice a week. Okay. And is that because you kind of know these builders now? Would you do more at the start? Um, at the start, I did do more. Um, naturally, with as you build a relationship and as you continue on with them, you sort of trust them to a level, but I don't think you can trust them to the degree of not, not not visiting every week. You know, James is a perfect example of that. He's worked with his builder before, but he's there almost every day. Um, mm. Not necessarily... Not necessarily to just, you know, because then, then you've got the flip side is sometimes a builder can get pissed off when you are there staring at them because they don't mm. want to be treated like a cowboy when they're not. And the other side of it is, is that, you know, you might just have a real enjoyment of being on site, learning what they are doing and understanding every single element of the process. As so long as they are aware of that and you, you know, you're asking questions and not sounding like a dick by saying that, you know, coming across like they don't know what they're doing because some good ones can get offended by that um and i think you're sweet and i think you're rolling um i go down there twice a week but i speak to my builder probably five times a day every day over so, the phone you know, it's yeah. a full-time job right really absolutely absolutely 100 percent. and so I, I, maybe this is a question to kind of both of you but then if this is basically a full-time job which it sounds and especially mentally can take a lot of space how do should investors manage this, but also raising finance, finding deals, admin, blah, blah, blah. Like, is it just to hire a PM or what do you both think? Do you know what I think is like, like you just said, Tej, you got to be highly organized with this. People think getting into property and managing a refurb is you turn up at site once a week and happy days, you pay some bills. It's not about that, man. I'm looking at my refurb right now and there's been some serious little fuck ups, you know, little, little fuck ups that could have been avoided if there was more, more planning gone into it. If there was just more eyes or more of my eyes looking at the detail. Um, so I use stuff like, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Trello boards. I have a Trello board for pretty much everything. And it's not because I want a fancy system. It's because I want to remind myself of what shit needs to be done. And my schedule of works is pretty damn long as well. And it has every single thing listed on there. You can't expect a builder to give you a schedule of works, man. I've tried in the past. Say, look, brother, give me a schedule of work. No, no, no. What schedule of works? They just turn up and I'm doing this this week. I'm doing that this this week. And it's little things like, you know, something stupid like, I've missed out ordering 16 doorstops. Now that's going to delay us by a couple of days. Doorstops of all fucking things, doorstops, yeah? And it, all this shit needs to be thought about before you start. And like Safe was saying earlier, a builder's not going to say, oh, I need those doorstops in week 16. He's going to turn around to you in the beginning of week 17 and say, oh, can you get me 16 doorstops? And it's like... Every time, James, every time. why are those doorstops not here, mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, every fucking time. You know, when you're buying 16, 20, 18 doorstops, you don't want to pop down to your local Wix because you're going to be paying five, six pounds more when you can source something online that's a lot cheaper, a lot nicer. So your eyes really, really need to be bang on the detail, man. Bang on the detail. And say, if you know, project management is very challenging. And, you know, I don't know, it is a very, probably one of the most difficult parts of property. What made you want to do this as your kind of primary role in property at the moment i think for me was um it was partly related to my own situation and how i need to progress within my property career 
The other side of it is because I just like for me, I just get a real enjoyment out of refurbs. Like mm. refurbs are just it's something that I get a lot of passion out of. I've seen something in in the complete shit tip to converting it into a nice space, mm. um, and and all that in between. The other side of it is I'm quite fortunate now to like really in the northwest especially is be picky and choosy about who I want to work with. I, I generally work with a lot of nice lads um, who sort of making an enjoyment out of it. I understand like I understand their situations. I know their families and that sort of thing. For me, it was it was just another element of a people business. Um, the other side of it is it just got busy with it. Um, now, like I'm doing a refurb at the minute in Rochdale, which a friend of mine has just asked me to manage. It's not a HMO. I never thought I would do anything but a HMO, but now this is just a complete, it's a full loft conversion, full good out. So you see, it's applying HMO principles of understanding who your tenant is and what their end experience will be, but applying it to an actual family that already owned the house, already lived in the house, already had problems about that space. Oh yeah, all our family members used to come around and we only used to sit in that room over there, even though we've got two reception rooms. How are we going to make that the, the best optimal space for us right okay first things first get the chimney out make it nice box room sofas on every single side instead of only having two sofas plasma on the walls so you don't need to take up the floor space so it's it's just for me it was just about it was again another element of problem solving but very similar to my job role in accounts which was understanding um a project being delivered versus a budget versus a plan of action versus returns that that investment would generate for an individual business um so it was there was a lot of similarities in that and for me now it's allowed me to build so many relationships with investors that in two three years time could potentially be jv partners and that sort of thing so for my intention is not that it's a business it's 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 the 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 business element is a complementary side to what i enjoy but the long-term goal is to show what I am worth to an individual, for an individual, so that if there is something that we can do in the future, then that individual already knows the type of character that I am and the level of detail that I am passionate that I put into what I do. And that's, yeah. that's, that's long story short. I love that. And you know what? Builders, as we've kind of alluded to, do a lot of things wrong. I mean, there are a lot of good ones. Big up the good ones. Um, but when they do something wrong, I've kind of found that in my head, I want to say, you are a moron. What the F is this? Why are you doing this? You're a grown adult. But what I have to say is, oh, mate, you know what? Usually you're so passionate and you care so much. But I just noticed on this element, it wasn't up to your usual standard. You know, can we remedy this, please? Let me talk you through it, which I hate having to do because it's not what I'm feeling. Do you find it's the same thing? Same? Is there a way, is there a magical way to get the point across and also get them to know you're disappointed in them? Absolutely. I think there's definitely a couple of levers that you can pull. Um, one of the things that uh, James done quite well on this project in London as well that we spoke about beforehand is controlling the process as much as you can. So mm. builders, let's put ourselves in the mentality of a builder now, right? Majority of the times, they have clients that want everything supplied and fitted because they, they just can't be asked faffing about going looking for looking for materials, sourcing little elements of stuff. They can't be bothered working with a building merchant. 
because it's a language that they're not spoke they're not talk. Can I have 50 pieces of rough sawn timber at 4.8 meters length, eight by two, whatever that might be? You know, it's not a language that we generally speak. So a builder has that pressure on him. A builder is expected, generally, this general client is expected to put money in his own pocket to go and buy these materials. Most of the time he gets them on tick because he's got relationships with them. Let's say now, Someone like Ted comes along, oh, sorry, mate, you know, this is not what level I expected. That's not fucking paying the bill with the materials merchant. So that mentality, that pressure that that builder has from there thinking, shit, Ted is not paying it. What am I going to do? At that point, nerves get high, things get said, actions get taken that they probably can't come back from. But then they realize, oh, shit. You know, so at the same time, we need to understand that you know, this is their livelihood as well, at the same time as it being our livelihood. Now, the elements of the process that we can control is working with building merchants, working with material suppliers, sourcing elements of materials ourselves, asking the builders to source the materials and provide receipts to us so that we can pay suppliers directly, linking the two together. So, for, for example, in our sake, we've got building material merchants that work for us, but our builders communicate what they need. Orders get sent to us for, to approve. We go down. If I'm free, I'll go down and actually go and pick up the stuff myself. If I'm not, the materials merchant generally just goes and sends them out to the site. So we're paying for the materials. The only bit that's not been paid is the labor, which is the wages. Now, at that point, if you hold them by, like you strangle the neck and say, sorry, mate, this has not been done correctly or to the spec that we expected, they're only thinking about themselves now. They've not been paid a wage. They don't know. They don't own Barrier Selco two grand for that bathroom mm. that you've just picked up. So naturally speaking, that element of um, leverage or that level of control that you have on that builder to do what you want, how you want it is much easier if you take away elements of pressure from them, such as owing somebody else money from themselves. That is interesting. Really I do that point. anyway. Like I order direct from suppliers anyway, but I never mm. thought, actually, now you mentioned that I've had a time where they bought something from a supplier and they were like, Oh, I need to pay the supplier. And I was like, oh, I'm fucking paying you. So shut up and wait. And yeah. I can understand what you're saying about them doing that. Now, James, you've I've got, your... I've got, I've got an incident. I want to talk to you about here, actually. So my plumbers who did that fantastic boiler room. Yeah. So they've got about 10% of the job left to complete just fitting the thermostat, checking a few things, fitting a water softener. They still haven't been around to do it. They've been fobbing me off for a couple of days. I know it's Christmas time. I know the bodies are there having a good time in the restaurants. Do Well, not even the restaurants, do whatever they're doing. So, But my leverage here is what Safe just said. I pay their supplier directly for materials. I owe their supplier, still owe him £2,000. I said to the supplier, I said, you'll get a payment from me once the job is complete, so I can tally everything up. So you see the leverage you've got here. Mr. Singh don't want to come back till the new year, but Mr. Singh's mate, who is his very good mate, isn't getting paid his two grand because Mr. Singh hasn't come back. So this is where it's great, where you control materials. There is certain ways where you can leverage things and get stuff done. 
Now, who doesn't want to get paid just before Christmas? You know, they all want to get their money wrapped up. So now I've put the onus back on them to say, look, come get the job finished. The materials will get paid. And this is what Safe was saying about having control and having maximum control over a job like this. It, it, I think it avoids any huge fuck ups. Absolutely. Mm. And Safe, you know, as you're kind of, actually, you know, here's a question. Have you ever had to fire a builder before for like bad work? Yeah. So on our first HMO, first HMO, we had to fire the builder. Um, just I lost, I lost complete trust in contractors in general, and realized I just had a bad experience. Um, and there were many individual, like many contractors. I now employ individual trades wow. as opposed to a contractor. Um, it again allows me to control the process even more. It allows me to make sure that. Like, and people think like, oh, you have to do this, or you have to do that. I just create a WhatsApp group with all the trades that are on that specific site and they all speak together. Barry speaks to Paul to tell him, yeah, the, the place is plasterboard. Can you come in and start plastering next week or whatever? And there's a there's a, there's a a step-by-step. Like Everyone knows what the timeline is of activities. Everyone booked in in the ideal scenarios. We always work on a three-week advance sort of planning way right today's site visit okay cool we're, we're we're monitoring what we've done today what do we need to do next week what do we need to do the week after what do we need to do the week after that if there are any delays now do we need to push or bring forward anyone else that's coming in the next three weeks so we always work three weeks in advance with how things are getting on on our sites the reason why we had to fire this guy was um we agreed a payment policy with him for everything, materials, everything. He was supplying, he was doing everything. We paid him 10% up front, 20% was retained till the end. So pretty much his margin on the job was at the end. And 70% was spread over a 12-week period. That 70% sort of alluded to about three week, three uh, three grand a week for 12 weeks. Then what happened was in the first six weeks, it's very labor-intensive. When I say labor intensive in terms of like the, the cost of labor outweighs the cost mm. of materials, mm. plasterboard, timber, that sort of thing. You can get all of that, right? But when you get towards the end, when the kitchens, and it always fucking happens, that the kitchen needs to be ordered on the same bloody week as the bathrooms. So you're absolutely destroyed with the materials invoice then. Okay. Now this material, this contractor was probably in profit by about 1500 quid every single week for the first six weeks. Most likely, if he's paying his lads, you know, sort of decent-ish wages, but cheap enough that he's employing them directly. That £1,500 was not getting ring-fenced in his <laughs> bank account. That was getting used to keep another job afloat that he wasn't getting paid on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise that. I didn't notice that. I thought, you know, yeah, 20% is left till the end. This guy's never going to dick me over or whatever. And he wasn't. He was never intending to dick me over. Right. But the thing that came to it is when it came to the kitchen and when it came to the bathroom, this guy had nothing to pay for that. He only had the money for probably a third of the invoices. At which point he came to me and he goes, is there any chance you could give me a little bit more of next week's this week and I'll just cut it out of next week? I thought, wait a second, but then you'll be short for next week. Mm. Like someone's not right here. Um, <laughs> and then he alluded that he wanted part of the 10 percent, uh, 20 percent at the end. To cover something, I was like, whoa, 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 we paid you for all of this. Like, you know, if you want to sit down with me and, I, and bring your workings 
and show me where the money's been going to say that you're struggling now. Where has that been money been going? And like uh, that's when he started uh, bubbling. So we got to the 12 week point and then the tap stopped. There was no more money coming in. We went from having four lads on site to having one lad on site. We went from it something taking two days to it taking a week. We went from then being four weeks over, at which point I, there was no way that I was giving him a single penny of that 20% because I, I just, I had ultimately in there that this guy, is, he's going to, that's it, we're out. Yeah, of course. He's, gonna, he's, he's off. Mm. He's going to do whatever. Then what we started ha- what started happening is we then started going on and uh, realising that we axed him off, got parts of the work done ourselves. We probably got it done for a little bit cheaper than what his payments were. But then we started having a load of issues just before we started tenanting it. So thermostat shower, hot, cold, flipped. I've had that. <laughs> yeah, fucking. It's either boiling hot or it's freezing cold. Yep. And we're like, what the fuck's going on here? Classic, right? classic. So we had to strip all the tiles back off, put them back on. Then another one, the electric shower went. Then all of a sudden, one of the, the, the laminate flooring started to bubble up. So I was like, whoa, whoa, something's not all right here. Got to the stage where instead of him demanding money from us, we were basically threatening to sue him for all the damages of what was going on. So more than what we owed him. Um, and then we just sort of agreed that he would walk away and we would walk away. Um, so we that was a very painful three, four month process. Mm. Um, probably a month after the place got tenanted. Um, and then since then, so it got tenanted in January and now we're at December and it's been full uh, for a whole year, which is great. Uh, we've had one tenant move out, which we had to get the room repainted and that sort of thing. But um, in general, that's what... Uh, that's what we had to fire them for. Now, wow. what we've implemented on the back of that, so the lessons that we've learned is everything is based on a valuations model now. So we hold, let's say, a small sort of 5% until the end, and we generally pay them that sort of two months after the project is over. Oh. So it's a small little element, small little element. Um, 5% is enough for them to get... Do builders to agree with that, though? Are they like, oh, I don't like this, mate? The good ones do. Mm. You understand? You understand? So, if I on on the new build, I had four months. Nice, four months, and that's because they want to let the house settle down. They know Absolutely. there's going to be certain issues, but yeah. then I I didn't you're get gonna, to that. You, four you're month naturally, you're going to get a lot of shrinkage around door casings, yeah. plaster. Yeah. You're going to get elements of cracks that need to then be refilled and repainted. Um, so, what we've done now is we've got that five percent element that's stripped out. The other side of it is we we don't pay deposit. We don't mm. do anything. We always pay one week in arrears. So come Friday, if Mr. Plasterer was plastering 10 rooms, not bedrooms, but rooms, hallways, reception rooms, kitchens, whatever it might be, and he's only done five, he will get 50% of the plastering budget yeah. that we have allocated to him for labor paid that week. Mm-hmm. Next week, if he's only done two more, he will only get 20% more of the budget at that point so we're incentivizing them to do more work in that period of time the other side of it is is if we need to ask them at any point we're not exposed mm. and then the other rule that i have is fridays i need all by friday i need all my invoices with me for me to then have a chat with the clients on saturdays saturday night sunday everything is paid 
So the boys have got the money to get paid. The week's wages are paid. And then we go again from the Monday. That's, yeah, those are all really valuable lessons. If, if people haven't done a refurbishment before. Now, you know, that kind of point about cash flow, that happens so often. And obviously not just with builders, it happens in all businesses. But when it then affects your project, and some people, you know, some builders are, are so convincing. Oh, go on, just give us an advance. We've done a good job so far. And humans, naturally, we, we may fall for that. And say, oh, yeah, go on then. But we have to just say, well, no, because if it ain't done, if it's not delivered, why are you getting paid for it? But it, it, comes, back to, it comes back to the other thing, Ted, which is, you know, have you exposed yourself to allow him to supply both materials and labour? You know, if he's just doing the labor element, then you can easily say no. If it's yeah. the material, then that's when the dynamic gets interesting because one, you run the risk of pissing off and ruining his business so that he's not necessarily going to put the love in that you require on your projects. Um, so it's 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 looking at it. I, I always like to look at it from my trade side, whether it's mm. my project or whether it's me that's project managing for another client um, because it like that level of respect pays back itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It does. And I think paying quickly, you know, whether it's same day or within two days, and as long as they know when you're going to pay and you pay then, because none of us want to get a late payment for our invoices. So it makes, it makes sense. And what you said about cash flow issues is funny. I had a builder and um, he was an interesting chap and he would call me uh, and say, Hi, mate, can you transfer me £2.50? I was like, for what? He's like, oh, I need to get some cap ends or some, some shit. I was like, I was like, bruv, you haven't got, <laughs> you know, I think it was too early in the morning. I was just, oh yeah, here's two pounds. Then he goes, can I have a, can I have twenty? I was like, for what? He goes, oh, I need to get like the UPVC, whatever. I was like, yes, okay. And I was like, so um, Taff, you know, I, I I found this with the Northern guys up in Middlesbrough. They were very very similar. Like when they'd quoted you a job, they'd want like the money within minutes of finishing, or they'd want like even if the job was like sixty quid to. Cl- put some gutter up they'd want like 40 quid of it so they could go out and buy the materials and i'm yep. thinking are you really running your bank balance that low that you can't go out and get the materials that's what he said he literally goes to me oh mate you know um i've, I've spent it like whatever i paid like you know whatever i paid for labor i was like <laughs> and but then the, you know, the thing is though right my kind of point on this is the compromise is that he did a new roof including all the the wood on it for okay so how much does a new roof cost including all the bands felt everything five grand 5k all in labor materials yeah. I would okay say. i paid him 2.6 2.7 i think it was, it was that was what, his price what more are you asking for exactly so when he calls me and asks for 2.57 he can fucking have Transfer three pound it. you know what i'm saying that's <laughs> he, big for you as well to I, give him three pound that's like a 20 percent increase that's a lot of money <laughs> um but that's what i mean right so sometimes when you're doing bits like that and i'm saving 50% on the average price and he did it fairly quickly and it was poor weather and it's bloody high up and windy and hell. And, you know, I kind of, you know what I mean? I didn't like, I didn't have a problem with that. And I don't know. I think that's something to maybe say to people who are listening is look, think about what you're getting. If you know you are getting a quality product and I, and I did, it didn't leak or anything. It was great. If you're, if you know you're getting a quality product, but you know, you're getting a super cheap rate for it. Mm. Don't be a dick. You know, I had um, our mate D Ludlow, he recommended me a painter and he came in at, so most, I don't know, three bed houses, anywhere from a grand to two grand. Oh yeah, I remember this guy. (laughs) He came in at 600, including materials. Yeah. And it was- What was he painting with? Water? 
Hey, listen, worry, worry, don't worry about the techniques we use here. The wall was gorgeous. And I'll tell you what, these walls were shit before he got there. Like they were, the builder before did a terrible job. He, he had so much work to do, but he still worked for two weeks and that's all he charged. Now, if he turned around and, and he, he said, oh, can I have 10 quid to go pick up the metal paint for the pipes? I'm sending him 10 quid straight away. I James, I wonder this part, he's getting 100% ROIs on his building <laughs> <in> rails. <laughs> Listen, you got you got to find the right people, innit? And you know, safe when you're managing individual trades, you Absolutely can get some, bro. you know, you can get some really Absolutely good people. Bro. Now, we got, James. Just, to, just, to, just to say that, right? Just the opposite end of the end. Mm. We, when we come to quoting for our second one, when we were looking at individual trades, we had one contractor that was really keen. He's like, oh, mate, really want to build a relationship with you and bloody blah, blah, this and that. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. You know, come down, bloody like saying all the right words. Yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've JV'd with other investors and stuff like that. Oh, he's been on a property trade. course. Yeah, then, exactly, think. exactly, right? <laughs> so um, he's come down, four-bed HMO, literally nothing, nothing, nothing crazy. So we got this job done for 52 grand. Ooh, and serious. he quoted, he quoted, he quoted, Hundred and forty six thousand pounds. What? No, <laughs> I'm chasing him for a quote, right? I'm chasing him for a quote because the guy needed to give me a quote and I wanted to finalize his tenderizing tendering process. So, like, cool, no worries, blah blah blah. Um, then you know, like you proper, you know, I get a really nice message on WhatsApp. Hi, Seth, just sent you the quote, blah blah. If you got any questions or whatever, I'm honest to God, I remember opening my email, looking at it, and thinking, what. <laughs> is, 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 is this guy like is he, is he like generally my response back to him was have you quoted the right job like <laughs> yeah you know what I mean like what what the hell have you quoted for 100 points my guy quoted me for 16 weeks paying a foreman 500 pound a week in the bloody refurb I was like wait a sec mate I was like you pay that from your profits not me yeah. Yeah. he's your guy so Why yeah, you need a foreman on a HMO refurb as, anyway. As you can imagine, we can we uh, we never spoke after that. Um, but <laughs> Mate, yeah, that's that was that three was times. That's almost three times Bro, what you did it, it for. Uh, honestly, I, I was I, I, I just could not believe it. I was speechless. You know speechless, what? Though, some, like, when you say it back to some of them, oh, that's a little bit pricey. They say, well, you you pay for you get what you pay for. You know, Rolls Royce versus Nissan. It's like, bro, you're not even a like, Datsun man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know what, man? I've had this one build here. <laughs> he was so arrogant, yeah? Like, when I say arrogant, he just I didn't like him from the second he was there. And I was like, okay, let's just get this done quick. He's like, yeah, I don't like Welsh builders. They're shit. All these lads around here are lazy. I was like, well, all right, mate, leave your sort of racism culture. Leave your shit at home, <laughs> bruv. I was like, they're, they're good. They're bloody good. I'll tell you that. Oh, I don't like them. I import all mine from South Africa and all this stuff, yeah? And he goes, oh, yeah, we're really good. We work with X, Y, Z. I was like, who the fuck are they, in it? I don't know who the fuck they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my guy quoted me 12 grand. Yeah, so it was a small job. I have had it done now for three. Wow. And I said to him, that's pricey. He goes, yeah, mate, but it's quality, isn't it? I was like, what? <laughs> it's not, is it? Because it's, it's <laughs> like some of these prices like, uh, James, didn't you have like, didn't you have some big ones for you? Mate, H&M? I had some. I had some that were close to 200,000. And this is, this is. Just labor. Oh, I had 200 wow. grand labor cost. Or we'll get you to the stage where it was 196,000, but you still need to supply the kitchen, the bathrooms, and the fin- and the tiles. So, what the fuck are you guys supplying them for that kind of money? 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? Now, uh, save. Let's kind of let's end with a couple of questions, not about builders. What has been the worst part of 2020? Because it's been a bit of it's an interesting year. Let, what's yeah. been the worst part? I think for me has been deals falling out of bed. Um, a lot of a lot of shit deals came on the market that were sort of bagged or packaged as golden projects, golden deals. In my eyes, I think I've probably um, pulled out of four deals this year. So in total, probably about 30 bedrooms, 30 HMO bedrooms this year, purely because of either shit surveys or an investor was uncomfortable with COVID in all in all. And for me, that was the the level of uncertainty in the market and Mm. um, how it came across is what was my biggest problem. So yeah, it was it was getting everything in line and then boom, the deal's off the table. Working your ass off and then boom, you've got nothing uh, to show for yeah, it. Yeah, I was just about to say you probably spent a lot of time oh, analyzing those in the deals spreadsheet, doing what you... on the numbers, making it work, doing a formula, pivot table, all of that. <laughs> and then for it to fall out of bed. And uh, say you know, on the opposite to that, what's been the best part of what has been again an interesting year in twenty twenty? I think for me was um, reconnecting with family um, is a big thing for me. Like I mentioned on probably both your podcasts or personally to yourselves. Uh, but my little boy was born on the day of my first HMO start, uh, refurb starting. And it was just action packed from that day up until the national lockdown. So for that first nine months, nine, eight months, never really like sort of properly spent you know, like a good two, three hours switched off on the sofa, me and him chilling, him in my arms, I'm watching TV, none of that. Didn't have any of that. Whereas now, because I've been working from home, he's been upstairs jamming. I hear him now waking up, stomping the floor, everything. I'll run upstairs for 10 minutes, have a quick little play with him and come back down and I'll come down and graft. So for me, the, the level of reconnection with family has been great. I think the other side of it is the level of opportunity that it has created because it is so easy now to network and connect with people on modes such as this. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like, for example, the amount of times I've been trying to organise with James to come down to London and for one reason or the other, I've had to pull out. Coming down to your boys' event where I felt ill. That side of things, it's just... But now that you can... Everyone... Like, the one thing I really like is everyone is so accustomed to and used to putting their face on a video camera yeah mm. whereas at first it wouldn't if i want to speak to my lads now i don't call them i video call them mm. like instead of reading you know, just small little basic stuff like that which is what i really 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 like is that the wider society is now adapted um or forced to adapt um or else they're just left behind really and and the one thing that i really liked about 2020 was family reconnection and adapting I love it. So thank you so much for coming on what has been the first The Property Duo Returns Volume Series 2 2.0. Uh, thanks for being our guinea pig to test our new format. I think it's, quite, it's no gone problem. pretty well. I, I think it was, is, it was decent. It was decent. Yeah, it was good. But, you know, we wanted this to be in person and one day hopefully it will be. Who knows when, alas. Absolutely. Um, now, say we'll put your contact details in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, talk about project management or if they're in the Northwest. Um, they can link up with you, see what you're doing. 
get you do some hey, 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 and before he goes, let's is he, you actually offer a service, don't you, Safe? Where oh, people can do you? Yeah, I do, I do. He didn't want to give himself about. a shameless plug, but I'll give him a safe <laughs> I plug. I forgot about oh, that. So, uh, yeah, one of the things that I do do is I work with investors um, on a project management basis, as well as also sort of consulting and reviewing deals. Um, one thing that I like to do is get deep into the numbers. And sometimes, um, you know, before generally, it's sort of look at it as like another element of a survey. Instead of having a building survey, can you have a financial survey done on your deal? Um, so that normally would be done in person. We would meet at a coffee shop sort of thing, but now it's generally being done over Zoom. Um, so yeah, anything that you need in deal analysis, project management, you bought a property, um, you need to get it converted into a HMO, into a house, into flats, whatever it might be, we've got the team here to uh, to take that on. Amazing. That's That's really very, good, very, very detail-oriented, as we said before. So if you've analysed a deal... You probably haven't analysed it the way he has. No, because... you have not analysed it at all. <laughs> yeah, he has like 100 lines where we would have like 10. So there's yeah. a big, big difference there. And we will put the notes uh, in the show notes. So everyone, thank you so much for listening and joining us again in the Property Duo. Please leave the J2 Hub and the TED Talks podcast reviews. You can do it on Facebook, on the page, or on an Apple device. You can't do it on Spotify or anything else. But, you know, just go to the Apple store, go on iTunes and, and leave it there if you have to. Bye, everyone. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.